Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Amen. I love preaching God's Word. I love preaching through books in the Bible. I have enjoyed preaching through Ephesians. The problem with preaching through books in the Bible, though, is... You get to passages you can't skip, right? If I was just doing subsection, I would have skipped this passage of Scripture. But, hey, that's uh, where we're looking at. It's the next one up in Ephesians. Um, and this one's challenging because I want to be consistent with, with what God is saying. But this passage has a way of being distorted in a way that is not good. Uh, and it's one of those uh, passages that's challenging to communicate because to, uh, to understand what's going on in this passage, you, you have to under, have understood what Paul's been saying before we get to this passage. And if you take this passage out of context, it'll make it into something that is not worse than that. I've, I've seen people use this passage to bludgeon others. And that's not only bad, it's evil and wrong. And all the while, they'll claim to be biblical, and that's not good. So let me give you some background, get us on the same page. As followers of Jesus, we believe in the dignity of people. As followers of Jesus, we believe in the equality of people before God. As all people, irrespective of race, class, culture, sex, age, are equal before God. All people have been made in the image of God. More than that, the gospel is about erasing dividing walls. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you read the Sermon on the Mount carefully, you will see that Jesus takes seriously when we oppress, manipulate, demean other people. So when you come to a passage like this, you need to give Paul some credit for writing in a way that's consistent with the rest of the gospel and the rest of what he's written as well. If you've been following through the book of Ephesians, you'll know that you'll see that, that Paul sees God's intention as creating one new humanity. The next piece of background that you should uh, need to know or be reminded of is that Paul is writing to Christians, to followers of Jesus, He's talking about good relationships within the body of Christ. So with that as a background, let me walk into where angels fear, fear to tread. So, okay, come with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your, uh, yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Greek is a wonderful language, but sometimes it is hard to translate into English. When you read these verses, they sound like a command written in the imperative. Now, Greek has tenses that make sure you know what, what is a command and what is imperative. Um, but that's not how it is written in, in Greek. Submitting to one another, wives submitting to your husbands, are dependent clauses on the command that is above. Ephesians chapter 5. 
uh, verse 18. It says this, instead be filled with the Spirit. Looked at this last week, right? That there is the command. Instead be filled with the Spirit. All these other things are clauses that refer back to the command. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The command be filled with the Spirit, or and is to be filled with the Spirit. Out of that, you know, being filled with the Spirit comes music and thanksgiving and submission to one another. If you try to make submission a standalone command here, it isn't going to go well for anyone. Good Christian relationships always begin with the filling of the Spirit. The other problem we have with interpreting this passage is how we use the word submit in our culture. Uh, well, we really don't use the word submit anywhere except for wrestling and M&A, right? Then you're trying to put somebody in a submission hold and you are getting them to submit, right? That's how our culture uses the word submit. Um, but in a Christian view of submission, I don't make you submit. There's no place where I make someone else submit to me. Uh, it's always the person who is submitting chooses to come under someone else's authority. You choose to submit, you're not made to submit. It's an important uh, distinction. And of course, we do this all the time in our culture, right? We go to the doctor about physical issues, and then you choose to submit if you fill the prescription that he has or she has prescribed. If you are not that familiar with cars and you go to the mechanic, and when you, when you take the car to the shop, and if you trust the mechanic, you submit to the recommendations. In the same way in the body of Christ, in your marriage, if your wife is an accountant, then you will want to submit to her in financial planning. In the church, if you're filled with the Spirit, first of all, we submit to one another. As Paul says, you prefer one another above yourselves. We don't have to get our way. We, don't choo we choose the way of humility. We choose the way of love. And so we choose to submit to one another, first of all. And so Paul's very clear that not only are you husband and wife, but you're brother and, submitter, brother and sisters in Christ. So you are, there's a mutual submission going on. So when it comes to Christian marriage, we remember that is true as well. We submit to one another. Then Paul makes it more specific, verse 21. Submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or with any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Paul has a lot more to say about husbands and wives in this passage, but let me see if I can untangle what, what Paul's saying here. Unlike most of our world, Paul recognizes that, that men and women are wired differently. Some of that is cultural, some of that is biological. Let's start with the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So Paul's writing into a culture where women could not hold property, they could not vote, uh, men made all the decisions in the family, it was my way or the highway in most cultures then. Into that culture, Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? Well, he goes on to say he did everything that was needed to make her holy and blameless. He's talking about how Christ willingly died for the church. Husbands, love your wife in a sacrificial way. When this is passage is read, we often get focused on the headship piece. Some read the headship piece as, in, as leadership that's intended to dominate women, and women are intended to submit to that domination. And in this view of headship, sometimes uh, that we interpret as leadership, uh, the man leads out of this in sense of entitlement. That is not how this is going. You can see Jesus, the Bible says he emptied himself. In fact, he didn't see himself as entitled. Rather, he took on the role of a servant. And he died for the church. Husbands, if you're following this, you can't have a sense of entitlement. You have to follow and see what Jesus did. He loved the church in a sacrificial way. So, I've watched this headship leadership thing play out in some marriages over a number of years. If there's real love in a marriage, you don't tend to get this objectification, this entitlement, this do uh, domineering spirit. It's not there. But, if love is misunderstood, if a man is emotionally unhealthy or emotionally unaware, then objectification, entitlement, domination become a reality. And that shows up in a number of different ways. You know, men work eight hours a day and then come home and put their feet up on the coffee table and, and watch TV. Meanwhile, the woman's been working 16 hours a day taking care of the kids. This passage, whatever it does mean, does not mean entitlement uh, for the men. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. How does the church submit themselves to the Lord? Well, if you have a legalistic framework, you say, oh, well, it obeys everything, uh, every command. But I hope that you hear something different as I teach you. What does it mean to submit to the Lord? You love him with all your heart 
and you look on how to develop a relationship with him. The fruit of submission comes out of being filled with the Spirit. So there's this beautiful picture of submitting to and preferring one another. There's this beautiful picture of wives being loved so well that their emotional needs are met and husbands being loved in a way where the wives are, are, are looking to be walking in good relationship with her husband. And as I'm describing this, I know, I know that some of you are going to think, Brent, you're being too mushy on this, just you know, tell it like it is. But most good marriages are made in that center, right? We look for ways to love each other and prefer one another. Sometimes we submit, sometimes we have to work out where there's conflict. Let me tell you what this passage is not saying. It does not mean, as I've heard some people say, that a husband and wife try to work things out, but the husband has the veto vote. You can't some love someone well and hold all the trump cards. It doesn't work that way. Love doesn't work like that. It doesn't mean that there's submission, doesn't mean that there's immediate acquiescence or uh, complies with everything the husband says. That's neither love nor a relationship, that's servitude. Wives are not meant to be servants to their husbands, and husbands are not meant to be servants to their wives unless they are trying to outserve each other, and that is the way that it needs to be. I know I'm nuancing this, but I, I get concerned with people who understand this, this passage of Scripture poorly. I've heard uh, too many stories like the one in uh, Carolyn Hagen's uh, book, Abuse Women in the Bible, where she wrote, a, a woman went to her pastor and told her hus about her husband's abusive behavior. The pastor's response was, well, no matter what he's doing uh, to you, he is still your spiritual head. Respect those behaviors you can respect and pray for those you can't respect. But remember, no matter what, you owe it to him and to God to live in submission to your husband. You'll never be happy until you submit to him. It was no wonder she came to Carolyn for counseling because she felt like she was going crazy. She was unhappy and a battered wife, and she'd been told by her pastor just to be happy about it and submit. Even more disturbing was the devoutly religious husband who insisted that he battered his wife because she wouldn't submit to uh, his God-given headship. I wish that was an isolated incident. It's not. Using the Bible like this, let me say it in the strongest possible terms, that is pure evil. Um, there is absolutely no room for abuse, either spousal abuse or child abuse, in the body of Christ. Please hear that. But God cares about your relationship. God cares about your relationship with your spouse. In fact, Peter says, Husbands, you need to be considerate of your wives because if you're not, your prayers will be hindered. You know, I, I'm, not a I'm not a marriage counselor, uh, but I have seen my fair uh, share of marriages in distress. 
And let me say this. If you are, have a marriage in distress, this is not the passage of Scripture you start with, okay? It's better to move back to chapter 4, where it says, put off the old self and put on the new self by being made in the attitude of your mind. Put off falsehood, speak truthfully. Don't sin in your anger, deal with your anger quickly. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Build one another up. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Start there. Go on to chapter 5. Walk in the way of love. Get rid of foolish talk. Instead, express gratitude. Live as children of the light. Don't live a hidden life. Understand what pleases God and what his will is. Be filled with the Spirit. When you're living those kind of things out, then you can start to take on the dynamic. But here's the bottom line. It's not, you cannot change your spouse, nor is it your responsibility to change your spouse. Trying to change your spouse is a fool's errand. But with God's help, you can change. I've worked with enough couples to know that, you know, I'll have the wife come in or I'll have the husband come in. It's amazing when the one of them comes in that it's always the other person's fault. Just, just saying, right? I just uh, noticed that. Um, and sometimes the problem isn't 50-50. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's 30-70. And if you're the one with the 30%, then deal with the 30%. And you pray that God will work in your spouse's heart to deal with their stuff. But if you say, I'm not going to deal with my stuff, I'm going to hold on to anger and unforgiveness and all that kind of stuff until they deal with their stuff, it doesn't go well for you, it doesn't go well for your marriage. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive as Christ forgave you. I'll end this section as Paul did in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pop on, oh, I'm running out of time. Let's pop on to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, and this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Father, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This uh, same needs, uh, thing needs to be said of children. Children are made in the image of God. They are image bearers. They deserve dignity. They deserve respect, um, especially from their parents. Paul writes to children and says, children, obey your parents and honor your parents. And a kid, if kids learn honor and obedience early, it sets them up for life. If they learn re rebellion early, it hurts them until they figure that part of their heart out. Again, Paul's writing to a people who live in a male-dominated society. So he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. The problem his days was parents, especially fathers, could be too domineering, and that's not good. 
And that is not how much of our society works now, but in some cases still needs to be said. Parents, don't exasperate your kids by being domineering. Go down to verse 5. Slave, obey your parents, uh, earthly masters, uh, with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. It was a different time and a different place, and there were slaves and there were masters. And, you know, people see slavery in, in the Bible and they say, oh, well, must condone slavery. No, that's not what's going on here. Paul didn't try to change society, but he did work within its bounds to create a different kind of society or culture within the church. The idea that Christ creates a different culture and a culture that is seen as good and it's hope that it will spread to the surrounding culture and the change will happen. So let me give you the backstory here. So Paul's writing this letter from, from prison and he pens the book of Ephesians, and at the same time, it seems he pens the book of Colossians, and he pens the book of Philemon. Uh, now, it seems like this, you can, uh, the letter to the Ephesians, it says in chapter 6, verse 21, was to be delivered to Ephesus by Tychius. Letter of Colossians was to be delivered to uh, Colossae, the Colossae church, by Tychius and Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was an escaped slave. And apparently he came to know the Lord under Paul's uh, ministry. He, now, Onesimus was from Colossae, so Paul's writing to Ephesians and Colossians. And worse than that, not only is Onesimus from Colossae, but his master is in the Colossian church. Uh, the slave's name was Philemon. You may recognize the name because it's a very short book in the New Testament named after him. That's because Paul wrote a letter to Philemon about Onesimus. And here's what Paul says. Paul basically says, hey, Onesimus has become a father, follower of Jesus. He's become like a son to me. But I'm sending him back to you, slave owner, Anyways, because I don't want to manipulate you into doing something you don't want to do. But here's what Paul says in, in Philemon, verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in Christ. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. Paul doesn't say, hey, you, ha you have to free him. But what he does say is you have to treat him as a brother in Christ. In fact, you need to treat him as you would me. So while this whole story is being played out in the background, Paul writes this to Ephesian, in Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your masters with respect and fear. With, uh, uh, with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Bathe them not out uh, only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will, will reward each one whatever good they do, whatever they, uh, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. 
Now remember, the masters are the rich people. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. If you look through this passage from a 50,000-foot point of view, view, what Paul is talking about is the kind of person you're called to be. Here's the thing. In our fallen world, in our fallen nature, we often ask, what can we get away with? What can we get away without doing? If you are in a low-paying job, the question is, uh, how can I do the least uh, and still keep my job? If you have authority, you ask, how can I pay the least and get people to work for me? But Paul's saying something quite different. It's not about who you work for or who works for you. It's about whose you are. It says, whatever you do, work for the Lord. The bonus of this is that you're working for the Lord. You're also doing a good job for your employer. You get paid uh, in the next uh, pay period by your employer, but you get rewarded by the Lord for your work as well. You receive an inheritance from the Lord is what it says. And to people who do wrong, especially people in power, know that God will make it right. He doesn't show favoritism to those who are rich or those who are in authority now. Relationships. Relationships are complicated. Marriage relationships are complicated. Hey, relationships with your kids as they start to grow up and be teenagers, they're, they're complicated. Employee-employer-employee relationships are complicated. But our focus is not on the other person, but who we are called to be as people. Who we were created to be. And that allows, if we live into that, allows us to have different kinds of relationships in our lives. There's a very, that's very different than the tendency to wish the other person would tra- change, wish the system would change. And those wishes aren't bad, but you can't stall your own change that God wants to bring about because of people around you. It's not about them, it's about us. Our job is to point ourselves to Jesus, and when we have the other opportunity to point others to Jesus, because we know he's the one who changes us. Let's pray. So Lord, as we walk through this passage, I know there are people here, all kinds of people have complicated relationships. My prayer is that you would change us. Help us to get our focus off of everything else and uh, allow you to do your work in us. Make us into people like you who love, who forgive, who have joy and peace and grace, who are strong and full of life. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.